Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you'll hear from a panel of expert speakers. We'll allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Norma. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care program, Coping with the Stresses of Caregiving When Your Loved One Has Multimyeloma. And today's program is part two of a two-part series, Life with Multimyeloma. And we are delighted that you're all on the call today with us. Um, and uh, today's program is supported by AbbVie and a charitable contribution from Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson and the Diana Appley Fund. And we thank them for their support of this program. Now, we have um, uh, a number of you on the call today, many of you, and this is also a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations. And because of that collaboration and your interest in the program today, we have on the call over 200 participants on the call today, and you come from all over the United States, from both uh, rural, urban, suburban, and frontier communities, and we also have international participants from Canada, India, New Zealand, and Turkey. So bit of a global call as well, and um, we are delighted um, to have all of you with us today and that you've chosen to spend this next hour to learn more about coping with the stresses of caregiving when your loved one has multimyeloma. Um, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Elizabeth O'Donnell. Dr. O'Donnell is Director, Lifestyle Clinic, Massachusetts General Hospital, Associate Director, Mass General Cancer Center's Survivorship Program, Assistant Professor of Medicine, Harvard Medical School. And Dr. O'Donnell will be addressing an overview of multimyeloma in the context of COVID-19, caring for your loved one with multimyeloma, and caregiving and social distancing in the context of COVID-19. It's really my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. O'Donnell. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and it's my privilege uh, to join you today for this call. Um, thank you for all who are listening. Uh, today I will be talking about caring uh, for patients and their caregivers uh, during this COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I think for many people, not just those who have a cancer diagnosis, this is a very stressful time. Um, there's so much that is unknown both about the virus itself and also how best to manage it. Uh, it becomes increasingly complicated when you have somebody who's being treated for cancer, uh, or someone who is immunocompromised at all. My goal today is to talk to you a little bit uh, more specifically about the recommendations that have been uh, published uh, for myeloma patients and also to help provide some support and guidance for caregivers uh, who may be feeling a lot of the stress of caring for a loved one right now. Um, as many of you know, multiple myeloma is a cancer of white blood cells. White blood cells help us fight infection. Uh, patients with uh, multiple myeloma may, you know, be, we know that they are immunocompromised, and so there's a concern of increased vulnerability to COVID-19 inf uh, infection due to a weakened immune system. And so uh, the International Myeloma Society has put together some guidelines, and I think the best thing is to read through those, uh, and then I'll kind of elaborate a little bit more specifically on how uh, I'm practicing and we're practicing at our institution and some other practical tips. So 
it's important that patients be aware of their vulnerability to COVID-19 infection. Uh, the International Myeloma Society recommends uh, the need to adhere to, to prevent infections, including social distancing, cleaning surfaces, washing hands frequently, uh, avoiding travel except for treatment, and limiting contact, uh, contacts. There are some special recommendations as well. Uh, therapeutic decisions should be made on a case-by-case basis, which factor in disease stage, risk, whether it's frontline versus relapse treatment, cytogenetics, meaning the risk, is it high risk or low risk, the age of the patient, and their other medical problems. If patients do need to come into the cancer center for treatment, we recommend that patients limit contact while they're undergoing therapy so that they don't see lots of other people. It's very hard sometimes with grandchildren or children, people wanting to see you. It is best to try and limit the number of contacts you have. Um, If telemedicine is an option, do phone consults or virtual visits whenever possible. I know our hospital has incorporated the Zoom platform into Epic so that we can do virtual visits. I personally will also do telemedicine visits with my patients if they're less comfortable using the virtual platform. If your hospital has not um, put a platform like this in place, do inquire because I know many physicians are willing to make this accommodation. Uh, We are fortunate in myeloma that we have a lot of drugs that can be used uh, to treat the disease. We also do have oral drugs such as lenalidomide, pomalidomide, exaximib. Uh, So those are good options for therapy uh, if you're trying to keep patients away from the cancer center. So do if there's an option for an oral drug that would be effective for your patient, uh, those should be considered. Um, If IV drugs are being used, consider reducing the frequency. Uh, One specific example is that they're recommending drugs such as daratumumab be spaced out as quickly as possible uh, to a monthly dosing. And then dexamethasone is a steroid that is very commonly used in myeloma therapy. It's been in the news very recently uh, about COVID where it may have some efficacy in helping patients uh, who have significant uh, illness from COVID infection. However, more generally, dexamethasone and steroids can dampen a person's uh, ability to fight infection. So uh, the IMS is recommending that the um, minimal dexamethasone dose uh, be used for treating patients. For young patients with newly diagnosed myeloma, frontline autologous stem cell transplants should be postponed if possible. Patients should be tested for COVID-19 before undergoing a transplant. Um, You can extend induction up to six cycles uh, and delay transplant if that's the safer option for a patient. Uh, However, if a patient has high-risk disease or active disease, You should not uh, postpone transplant. I think the important teaching point here is decisions need to be made on a case-by-case basis. But if there's latitude uh, where the the risk of harm outweighs the benefits, better to be safe than sorry. For elderly patients with newly diagnosed myeloma, again, using oral treatments where possible is a good option. Uh, Not using more than 20 milligrams of dexamethasone weekly um, and uh, similarly for uh, relapse refractory patients, 
uh, trying to modify the treatments. If you had been using twice weekly, let's say Velcade or Carfilzomib, trying to go down to a once weekly dose to minimize the number of times that a patient would have to come to the clinic. These are some general recommendations. I think they'll continue to evolve. The major take-home points as I see them are trying to limit the number of times you come to the cancer center, trying to do any appointments that don't need to be done uh, monthly necessarily via uh, a, a, a Zoom or a virtual platform, and limiting uh, the opportunity for infection by limiting contacts uh, that you don't necessarily need to be in touch with. Um, Shifting to the caregiver, I think that there are a lot of caregivers who I've spoken to who feel more stressed out during this time. Uh, some of the responsibilities of doing the shopping uh, and other uh, household-related activities can be shifted to the caregiver uh, right now. And so there's also this worry for many caregivers of going out. They may become vectors of exposing their loved one that they're trying to protect and care for. My strongest recommendation for all people is to wear a mask and to practice good hand hygiene and to limit going to places that are indoors uh, where there are a lot of other people or that you don't have to go to. Many grocery stores have hours designated for older or immunocompromised patients. Do take advantage of those resources uh, so that you are in a space with fewer people uh, and put yourself in a situation that is safer. And, um, you know, it's very hard. I think one of the things both for, for the patients themselves and for the family members is not being able to see one another. Um, you know, socially distanced, mask wearing outdoor now that it's summertime, keeping six feet apart uh, can be one way to boost people's spirits, but still keep everybody safe. Again, the most important point is keeping the mask on and making sure hands are clean. Um, it is okay for patients to get outdoors and exercise. Uh, going for walks is a good thing, both for health and also for mood. If you're in an area, though, where there may be other people, again, please wear a mask uh, to protect yourself. Um, so these are some initial um, guidances uh, that I think are most relevant. We don't know, um, you know, when a vaccine will be available or what the future holds. It's an uncertain time. And I think uh, in the meantime, it's important to uh, continue to listen uh, to the experts who, from infectious disease and continue to uh, socially distance and take precautions uh, wearing masks and performing hand hygiene. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. O'Donnell. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful setting the stage for the program today and reviewing um, really many of the guidelines that, that are so important for both uh, people living with multimyeloma and their caregivers as well to be very much aware of. And the issue of social distancing, how important that is um, in terms of uh, and, it's, and, and, and to practice that. That's really um, so. Thank you. Excellent. I know there'll be questions for you during the Q and A. Thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will be addressing taking on the role of caregiving, your important role in decision-making during telemedicine, telehealth appointments, challenges in communicating with the healthcare team, including the long-distance caregiver, and your role in adherence, weekends, holidays, and vacations. It's really my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Yes, thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank you for all who are participating in the call. 
Um, this is uh, quite a timely topic because of uh, new changes in, our, in the care we're providing during the uh, COVID-19 uh, outbreak in the United States and across the world. Um, just as a as background, until very recently in the United States, probably the last 20, 30 years or so, and I believe in some other countries there's a lot more variability, it, the decision-making uh, really was left in the hands of the provider. Uh, whatever the provider said was accepted by the patient and or the family without much discussion or in very little input as far as personal preference. Luckily, uh, through, um, through many years of struggle with this, we have moved into a system of more shared decision-making where the provider will uh, give the, op the options um, if those options are equal. Sometimes it's left up to the patient and family, but more often than not, uh, our providers, our colleagues do have an opinion about what would be the best thing to do. You've just heard about all the different options in multiple myeloma now. Uh, and this is one of those situations where the shared decision-making can be ever more critical because although the options may sound equal, they're not uh, a good deal of the time, and the providers can um, give some guidance. Um, it, many times patients or families would say, if this was your father, if this was your mother, what would you do? Um, and it's, when I heard that years ago, I sort of was taken aback, and then I realized that that's a way of trying to weigh in on the personal aspects. And that's sometimes hard for us, because although we know about the guidelines and we have lots of experience in treating different kinds of cancer and treating the patient who has the cancer, not just the cancer itself, um, meeting patients and families for the first or second time when the treatment decisions are often made, at least the initial ones, we don't know about the personal preferences of the uh, individual. Um, and uh, over the years, we have talked about setting goals of care. And goals of care can be taken in a variety of different contexts. Um, in it, at its best, Goals of care means what's important to the patient, what's important to the family, um, and it could be something as broad as um, I'd like to do everything I can to beat the cancer in any way possible, or I wouldn't want to do things that may make me sick or uncomfortable uh, as, them, as they could make me better, um, and everything in between. And often that is needs to be teased out in a very long and protracted um, conversation. So it, now that our colleagues have begun to do that in, in, in person, we're learning to read the signs. We're learning to read facial expressions and body language. That can be lost on telehealth. Um, if we're staring into a screen, don't see the rest of the body. We, it, it, sometimes that's really hard to do. Some of the, the, the light signals are sometimes hard to discern. So um, we, I think um, as a field in general, I shouldn't speak for everybody, but from what I have seen, um, we're you know, devoted to this idea of shared decision-making. But now uh, when we need to do so on the phone or on a video conference call on a variety of platforms, sometimes it's a little bit harder. So I think we need to move to the point where we're really asking specific questions about 
shared decision making and about personal preference in order to make sure that everybody's voices are heard. Um, over the years, it's somewhat common, rather common, for a family member to to say when they are d- deciding about what seems best for that individual, what the individual would um, would prefer the most. Um, to say, doctor, could you give us a few minutes? And I would often step out of the room and then uh, wait a few minutes and go back in. That's um, a luxury that I haven't yet seen on telehealth platforms. Um, It may mean a separate call. It may mean delaying the balance of the call, whether it's video or audio only for uh, an hour or till the next day. But that's an option that people can use to uh, try to discuss some of the options and what would be best. Um, Many times these decisions really aren't equal, but the part that uh, the providers don't necessarily uh, understand right away is how much of a burden that each of those uh, treatment options would be on patients and families. Um, And that's the part that is ever more important to be brought into the situation. The uh, other thing that I have uh, experienced on the telehealth calls is that if the patient alone is on the call, then the family seems left out. And sometimes if uh, in a Zoom call, for example, or another video platform where people are in different cities, different parts of the world, or are working and can't um, be in, on the same in the same location with the patient in order to do the call together, I'm looking at two different screens um, on the call. Um, it's hard to know who to talk to because all the screens are equal uh, and patients can feel left out. Family members can feel left out. And I think there's a bit of finesse here that we're getting used to when learning how to do these video calls uh, in a lot more effective way. So uh, I, I, we're still, we're still um, trying to support the basic principles of care, which is patient autonomy, uh, confidentiality and privacy, obviously, trying to go to, to, to do good um, overall and trying to do good with a little bit in the way of side effects and hardship as much as possible. Um, but having these discussions online is a big shift from having it uh, in person. So one of the things that uh, I I believe patients and families can do and do do if asked in advance is to really think about what their goals of care are. Uh, in, in, In general terms, if somebody feels that they will do every treatment that they, the doctors feel will be helpful in order to, to um, treat the cancer well and quiet it down, or if, if there's a certain preference, I would do X, Y, and Z, but not A, B, and C, or I only want to be comfortable, and that's all. And um, the general theme can be discussed in advance, but the actual nuts and bolts of the decision needs to be discussed with the providers because they could have great implications, not only on the length of someone's life, but the quality of their life. So the 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 move out of the person-to-person meeting into a virtual meeting or an audio call has brought on new challenges, but I think new opportunities. Because um, in the past, if someone had a relative who couldn't come into the office for that very important treatment decisions meeting. Often we would call them up um, and it would seem kind of remote. Um, Here they can participate in the full call, be it on the phone or online. 
Um, so that's an advantage, but I think we just have to perfect it a little bit more. And because this idea of making uh, big treatment decisions on the phone or on video is only about four months old for most of us around the world, I think we're learning. We're learning pretty fast, but we still have um, a ways to go to perfect this type of communication. Um, Dr. Messner also brought up uh, the role of caregivers on weekends, holidays, vacations. Um, now that, that, that we're using video and audio and telephone more remotely, it's important that um, the providers know the best number in which to reach the patient. It may be a landline, it may be a cell number, it may be a relative cell number, but it's also important that patients and families know how to call a provider, especially after hours. Um, in some of the hospitals across the country, many of the uh, support staff, the folks who answer the phone, the people who make appointments, um, have been deployed to other parts of hospitals uh, because of the COVID-19 crisis. And more and more calls seem to be going to voicemail. So it would be important to know if there's um, an important question on the weekend, if there's an emergency on the weekend, exactly what to do. It's uh, our job to make sure that people know that. But if you are leaving the office without a clear sense of if there's a problem on Sunday, who do I call? Ask that question. Um, maybe not just to the uh, doctor or the uh, provider, but ask it to the receptionist. Ask the oncology nurse. Ask the oncology social worker if you're being treated in a large center. Uh, these are the folks who, who often have lots of information that can be helpful. So I will stop here and turn the call back to Dr. Messner. Thank you, everybody. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was really excellent, really a superb presentation, and and really covering a lot of these the issues of really everyone becoming uh, more accustomed to the, the telemedicine, telehealth appointments, getting to know them more, and also um, some of the benefits of them. Uh, that's been very helpful that you've discussed that as well. And um, and and actually, you're ending with it's, it is really important to find out who do you call evenings and weekends, because it seems like that's when always things happen. So who is your contact um, at, at, uh, for you to really get someone to help you? That's so important. So I know there'll be questions for you, and excellent. Thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Georgie Kusak. Ms. Kusak is Director of Education and Patient Safety, Office of the Clinical Director, National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, Adjunct Nurse Leader, Nursing Research and Translational Science, Clinical Center, National Institutes of Health. And Ms. Kusak will be addressing managing family, friends, and traditions in the context of social distancing, coping with each day on special occasions, anniversaries, and birthdays, and self-care tips for managing stress. It is my pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Kusak. Thank you, Dr. Mesner, for the opportunity to be on the call today. And I'd also like to thank the, take the opportunity to welcome all the participants who are on the call. It's my pleasure to participate in this conference call. As Dr. Mesner mentioned, my topics today include managing family, friends, and traditions in the context of social distancing, and then how to really cope each day, um, especially when you have anniversaries, birthdays, different things like that. And then as a caregiver, how do you manage yourself 
in these stressful times and what do you do? And as Dr. O'Donnell and Dr. Fleshner mentioned, you know, I think that we are in unprecedented times right now and we really need to be able to think creatively in terms of helping our family members to cope during COVID-19. And it's hard to be socially distanced when caring for a family member. So what are some of the things that you can do to be able to help your family member? There are um, probably the biggest thing, again, is, as was mentioned earlier, is keeping um, hand sanitizer with you at all times, washing your hands thoroughly after caring for your loved one. If your hands become soiled, you definitely need to be doing the hand washing and at least doing it for 20 seconds at a time. Um, the hand sanitizer you can use at any time. You want to use something that at least has 60% alcohol in it. And when you use hand sanitizer, just make sure that after you put it on that you keep wiping your hands thoroughly until it is completely dry. I often will see people use hand sanitizer and then wipe it off with a towel, which kind of defeats the purpose of it. So just make sure that you are wiping it and keeping it clean. If you are with your um, family members, again, the social distancing is the most important aspect, um, staying that six feet away from them. If you yourself go outside and you are the person that's going shopping or doing something like that, you need to wear a mask um, for that. And I would say if you're going to go shopping for them, try to go in the early morning or the late evening when you aren't at the busiest times in terms of picking up things for them. The other thing you can do is have family members or friends, you know, pick up um, some of the things, again, telling them to use social distancing and having them um, pick up the items for you. Or you can use a delivery service. There's a lot of delivery services out there now um, that you can potentially use to, um, you know, to have uh, to bring foods and other things into the home. Um, in terms of managing family, friends, and traditions, again, with family members um, and people that do want to come and visit, you do want to emphasize the social distancing. You also want to try to limit visitors. And, you know, I, I had a friend that recently had um, lung cancer, and, you know, he wasn't allowed to have family and friends. And one of the creative things his wife thought of was to be able to have the his family and friends kind of do a drive-by, and she um, actually had him go outside and there were probably like 200 cars that drove by a family and friends that he had just to, you know, just to raise his spirits and things. Because, you know, when, when we are socially distanced, or excuse me, socially distanced like that, I think that, you know, sometimes it can lead to a little bit of depression or some social isolation. So you want to be able to try to just think of some creative things for um, allowing people to come visit or to just, you know, try to make an impact that way. So, again, if they do come and visit, having them wear a mask, um, having them use good hand-washing techniques, maintaining the social distancing and those types of things. Um, in terms of, you know, your friends really want to be, friends and family members really want to be helpful. And if you're the direct caregiver, one of the things I recommend to families is to maybe assign a friend to coordinate meals for your for your loved one and stuff. And that kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off of you and has somebody else the opportunity to get involved in helping with the care also. And some, you know, sometimes people don't know how to help. And so they will appreciate if you give them a specific thing to do. So, you know, there's a lot of literature out there on kindness and how it makes other people feel good to be helpful. So remember, you're also helping them at, at the same time. Um, you want to check with your family member and, you know, identify foods that your patient likes and dislikes 
So you can have friends and family bring those particular foods. If you're a long-distance caregiver, it's very hard sometimes when you're far away from the family, but you want to be able to stay in touch with the local caregivers and the loved ones with the cancer. You know, be willing to talk, um, be willing to talk maybe about some of the difficult um, topics such as personal finances and stuff like that, but be able to help them with doing some of those things also because sometimes you can't be physically there, but you can help out with some of these activities. You can also coordinate medical appointments. Um, you know, a lot of times patients, uh, cancer patients have appointments with medical oncologists, surgical oncologists, radiation oncologists. They have chemotherapy appointments, so they have lots of different appointments that have to be set up. So having somebody that is good at that and can help you out with coordinating those will be very helpful for that. Um, updating family members and friends. You know, at the at the end of the day, many times caregivers, because you're providing physical and emotional support, you're exhausted. And so sometimes you can use a long-distance caregiver to be that point person for phone calls and updates and emails. We also have blogs such as um, Caring Bridge um, or other sites that you can uh, that you can utilize, and people can post updates on those for family and friends daily. And people will just go there, and sometimes you know, so that way you don't feel like you have to answer every phone call that comes in and and things like that. And um, again, sometimes you can also tap into your teenagers or young adults to help out with um, you know with doing some of these things. Um, we talked about Dr. Fleshman talked about the use of um, the use of Zoom or other forms of technology to talk to um, you know talk to patients or caregivers. You can do those. You know, sometimes if um, you don't want family members to actually come over, you can use technologies to to do that. Again, utilize your young adults for that because a lot of times they know all the different tricks and trades of that to be able to help you with that. Um, as a long-distance caregiver, you may also want to be on the phone for medical appointments. You know, a lot of times now um, when people are going in for their appointments, and it's really up to your hospital or your freestanding facility to let you know what their guidelines are around COVID-19, but many times now they will have patients come by themselves. You know, you may drop the patient off and they may have them be there by themselves just more for um, protecting the patients and things like that, but you can still participate in medical appointments um, with some of the technologies and things like that. Again, you want to be each individual institution has their own guidelines. Like at our hospital, we're only allowed to use MS teams, which is a which is a uh, type of technology um, that they have found that is very safe with communicating with patients, and we can't use other forms of communication with um, communicating with our patients. But that's something that your individual facility will um, keep you abreast of with that. Um, again, keeping track of paperwork and bills might be a way that you can help out if you're long distance, and coordinating transportation from afar. You know, getting picking up prescription refills if there's certain things that need to be done around the home. Okay, sorry about that. So, again, we'll talk about long-distance caregivers. If I repeated some of this, just bear with me. Um, as a long-distance caregiver, again, you want to stay in touch with the local caregivers and the loved ones, be willing to talk about, um, you know, some of the difficult topics that are sometimes hard to talk about, such as personal finances and living wills and different things like that. Don't underestimate your role that you're providing as a, as a caregiver, as a long-distance caregiver, um, because it can be considerable. 
Sometimes you want to be able to help with coordinating medical appointments. Um, again, your patient may have surgical oncology, radiation oncology, chemotherapy appointments. So you just want to maybe help out with keeping track and helping them to schedule appointments. You can update family members and friends at the end of the day. Many times caregivers um, are physically and emotionally exhausted from all the work that you've been doing during the day. So sometimes you can assign that responsibility to another family member or another friend for the patient and have them update people with phone calls and emails and things like that. They can also, if they, they have um, uh, blogs such as CaringBridge or other sites also that um, you can update so that family members and friends can just check and update that. You may want to be on the phone during medical appointments and um, I would say that again, each individual institution is responsible for making sure that um, that their patients are aware of their policies at your different hospitals and institutions. Many times now with COVID-19, they will um, not necessarily allow family members to go in with the patients to sit during treatments. They may just have you drop off the patient. Again, it depends on the institution that you're at. In some institutions, I would tell you at our institution, we actually test family members while well, we do screening at the door and if they have any signs and symptoms um, of COVID-19, they actually aren't even allowed to come into the hospital. And for patients also, we, te we screen them and then we will send them for testing if they have any kind of symptoms whatsoever. Um, you may be on the phone during medical appointments or coordinate transportation such as meal delivery or um, coordinating medication refills. There may be things around the house that need to get done that um, maybe you could kick in and help out with some of those things uh, to assist with that also. And then when we talk about coping with holidays and birthdays, holidays are a very special times, but they can be very stressful. And a lot of times the caregiver carries the burden of making sure everything's perfect for these different events. And sometimes you put a lot of pressure on yourself as the caregiver. And, you know, what I would say to that is kind of give yourself a break on that and just know that, you know, you do the best with the information um, that you have at the time to be able to prepare for some of these things. When I look at resources around um, caregiving and around just helping out with things. Cancer care has a ton of resources, and Carolyn will go over those in just a couple of minutes, but um, Cancer Care, the National Cancer Institute, American Cancer Society, the Myeloma Foundation, all of those places have a lot of information on resources that you can use or utilize as caregivers to be able to help your patients. The NCI has eight tips to cope with cancer during the holidays, and one of them is to be in, um, in tune with your thoughts and feelings and making sure that, you know, you're taking care of yourself as well as taking care of your loved one during this time and get support for yourself. Make a list of your of friends for yourself that you can count on and listen to your concerns. Again, because it can sometimes be stressful acting as a caregiver for that. You want to make sure that you're eating a balanced diet that gives you lots of nutrients. Um, plan to get exercise for yourself, even if it's going out for a short walk, um, just to make sure you're able to get your own exercise for that. Um, again, you know, if things don't go exactly as you think they should go, just know that, you know, there there are always little idiosyncrasies that happen, so you just need to make sure that um, you give yourself a break on those things. And then make a simple plan and pace yourself so they don't, you don't get yourself overly stressed with that. Some of the other things that you can do for self-care 
are, again, scheduling self-care time. So each day um, focus on your own needs, make it a priority by scheduling something for yourself that's done maybe like once a week, specific activities so that you can get out and um, make yourself available. Have other family members cover periodically so you can have like little respite weekends if you need them and different things like that. Um, and then make a self-care emergency plan for yourself. Again, when it gets really stressful like this, you just want to make sure you have plenty of time for yourself to be able to, if you, you know, if you get sick, you can't help your loved ones. So you have to take care of yourself. If you um, use spirituality as a mode, you want to seek out support from your local churches or pastoral services. You want to prioritize your sleep. Um, I, for those of you not familiar, the Family Medical Leave Act is, um, is in place now for work and so know that there are services available to assist you and you um, family members are allowed up to 12 weeks of leave to be used to care for family members and that's paid or unpaid leave to be able to uh, take care of family members each year and so you may want to utilize FEMLA in your work environment for that. I talked about um, the Caring Bridge website that you have access to for that and then, again, the different um, – there's a wide variety of different smartphone apps that you can download for yourself that have meditation and mindfulness, and a lot of these apps are free, so you can just download those online. There's also YouTube videos or CDs. They have uh, flute and piano music if you're, you know, just want to sit and relax sometimes and – different things like that. And then journaling is another activity that I think um, is really good to just express your feelings and writing in a journal each day to just um, put down some of your thoughts and if you have specific questions, doing those kinds of things. Um, and then lastly, I'll say that uh, the American Cancer Society, the National Cancer Institute, and Cancer Care all have um, uh, information on tips for caring for a loved one and caring for the caregivers. So you can access any of those websites. And again, Carolyn will give you those at the end. And just remember that it's, you know, you're an important member of the healthcare team and you need to take care of yourself so that you can better take care of your, um, your patient or family member. So it's been a pleasure to participate in the conference. Sorry we uh, had a little mishap there. And I will turn it back over to Carolyn and I'm happy to entertain any questions at the end. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Cosette. That was really wonderful, excellent. And uh, particularly, you know, your call out to the those self-care tips for, you know, for the caregiver really to help to care for them. And so a lot of wonderful information that you've provided. And um, I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. We're going to take questions in just two minutes probably. I just want to say a few words about cancer care. And um, when I conclude doing that, Norma, our lead operator, will actually, she will give you instructions on how to ask questions, and we'll try to take as many of them as possible. So I am Carolyn Messner. I am an oncology social worker, and I'm Director of Education and Training with Cancer Care. Now, Cancer Care is a national organization. All of our services are free, and I'm going to give you just a summary of those services. We do offer practical and financial assistance. And our financial assistance programs are significant. They can make a tremendous difference for people. And um, I would say both um, we have financial assistance and we also have a copay assistance uh, foundation as well that can help. So those are just very, especially in this era right now, these have always been very, very important programs, but now ever more so. Um, and then we also, all of our 
our uh, most people contact us on the phone on our hope line, and of course, some of you visit our website and post your question there. You will all be speaking with an oncology social worker. Either you're going to be talking to them on the phone, or you'll be responding to them online. Either way, um, they're trained oncology social workers, all master's level trained, and they're here to provide really to address any concern or question you may have. And I would say that anything that's on your mind, we're a good place to call. That's all I can say. Um, and so um, many of you have questions about, oh, how do I talk to my children about about my myeloma or my or in the context of COVID-19? Or, or how do I talk to my boss? Or what do I do about working? Or how do I... Um, how do I manage? What about myself? How am I coping? So all these questions and more so that you can think about yourself. And then I need I need help with finances, with food, or with um, with um, with you know all the costs that I'm incurring right now. Can you help me get those get information? And I have to say that um, if we don't have that information, we will through our case management program lead you to places that can help you. And we won't just give you the names of them, but we will actually take you there, um, uh, you know, and be sure that you have gotten the service. Um, and that you've gotten the help you need. So if we're not able to provide it, we will get you somewhere that can provide those services. Um, and that's a very important service as well. So I would say that um, we're a good go-to place. And I think, as, as Ms. Kusak mentioned, there are many other organizations as well. And we're going to, at the end of the program today, you're going to get an evaluation form. Well, actually, within two days of the program. And that you'll probably get it on, on Monday. And the evaluation form will have... Well, is an evaluation. We do like to get your feedback. But the other thing about the evaluation form is we'll have resources for you. And it will indicate all the resources we've given during the program today that any of our speakers have mentioned. So for those of you who've been writing, trying to take notes of all of this, we also will send it to you so you'll have those resources available. And now, um, and now I'm going to actually um, ask uh, Norma to explain to all of you how to cure for questions. And again, we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Norma, and then bring all of our speakers on board. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then number one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may ask a question by clicking on submit questions by clicking ask a question. Again, ladies and gentlemen, to ask a question, please press star one. Okay, so we have um, a question in front of our online participants. Um, And I'm going to give this question. So this is for Dr. Um, O'Donnell to start with. It's been a tough couple of months since my husband was diagnosed. Um, I wanted to do something that makes our life seem normal and forget about worrying for a bit. Do you have any suggestions? Quick general question. Yeah, so that's it. So that's a great question, and I think a lot of people, not just those with cancer, are struggling for some semblance of normalcy uh, and the comforts of the routine. And maybe that is the thing to focus on, is finding comfort in new routines uh, that make you feel less confined, whether that be something like a daily walk uh, where you go outside, um, you know, some areas are opening up and allowing people to uh, go out to meals and things of that nature. I would, you know, 
probably caution against jumping in too quickly uh, with these recent opening up. Uh, while it would be nice to do some of the things that, you know, like going out to meals and shopping, um, I think it's a little early. We're seeing some surges in the states that have opened up. Um, and so I would continue uh, to practice the precautions that we talked about wearing masks, but perhaps look for the kinds of activities um, that may feel good, uh, but also uh, not put put you at risk uh, during these uncertain times. Excellent. And does anyone else want to add to that? That's an excellent response. And does anyone want to add to that as well? Other speakers? Okay. Um, and we have um, another question in front of our online participants. Um, so, I'd, and this one will be for Dr. Fleischman. I'd like to know how to, I can help my wife improve her appetite. Oh, great question. We have done a number full teleconferences on this in the past. Um, in general, um, uh, Cancer and its treatments have a number of effects on appetite and weight. Um, some of them are direct biological result of uh, cancer itself and the treatments, and some of them are just associated. Um, I can tell you what pretty much hasn't worked is trying to force somebody to eat. Um, that doesn't work. It doesn't work with anybody. Um, so try to keep offering foods that are... Um, are uh, healthful. Um, if you're being treated at one of the larger or community-based cancer centers, there is a dietitian or nutritionist that you can access uh, either on the phone or through a telehealth platform that would be able to give personal guidance as far as what kinds of foods would be best for your wife. Um, make sure to stay hydrated, um, but see if you can speak with someone at your center who can provide direct personal uh, advice about the kinds of foods to eat, if there are any uh, possible appetite supplements or uh, protein shakes or special things that you can take to actually try to retain uh, a good ideal body weight, muscular, but muscular body weight. Uh, but in general, keep offering food, don't force, and seek help from someone who really understands about cancer. Excellent. And Dr. O'Donnell, do you want to add anything to that as well? Um, you know, I think that that was an excellent response, but I also think sometimes uh, one thing to focus on is if, if uh, quantity is an issue, focusing on high-calorie-dense food. So if people can't get a large quantity of food in, identifying things such as uh, nut butters or oils or avocados or things that you get a, a lot of bang for your buck, so to speak, if, if people are not feeling that they can get large quantity of foods in. But I do agree, you know, really encouraging but also not forcing, um, just as Dr. Fleshman said, and, and trying to come up with things that suit the mood of the patient. Thank you. And um, a question for Georgie, um, uh, for Ms. Kusak. Um, I am having a hard time dealing with my husband's cancer diagnosis. It is so hard to imagine him sick where he seemed perfectly healthy just a few weeks ago. Um, so any advice in terms of um, helping, um, helping to feel some peace and come to terms with the diagnosis of lymphoma? 
You know, I think there's, again, I think that's a very normal response, and it's hard when somebody, again, when you've seen somebody and they've been in great shape, and now you see that they're not doing as well as you would expect them to do at certain points and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I would say when, you know, your loved one's getting uh, treatments and different things like that, there's kind of going to be peaks and valleys with that, and so that will cause a little bit too. I think providing yourself time to um, to seek out some support, whether it's from a family member or a friend that you're close to that you feel comfortable with or, you know, utilizing uh, cancer support lines such as cancer care and calling one of the social workers and talking to them just to kind of, you know, vent your feelings and stuff. Sometimes it's hard to to talk with your loved ones and stuff, especially if they're not feeling well. I would encourage you to talk to them also, but sometimes you just need somebody else to to talk to or maybe even another patient or family uh, caregiver that's going through the same experience. Sometimes at your facilities where you're at, you may have other um, other patients that are going through the same thing and other family members that are going through the – or caregivers that are going through the same thing. So just being able to, again, allow yourself to be able to find someone – to communicate with um, if you just need things to help you de-stress again some of those some of those um, you know some of those apps are nice the calm app or the breathe app or something to help you just to try to relax for yourself and take time for yourself to digest everything that's going on again in these times with COVID everything is kind of uncertain also so I'm sure that adds on additional things so just you know give yourself a Give yourself a break with that and, and see if you can find yourself some resources to talk to, whether professionally or whether, you know, family members or friends. Excellent. Thank you, Ms. Kusak. And actually a very good point that actually um, our oncology social work staff would be ideal to call in terms of at cancer care um, to get support at this time is really what you're saying. You really need support and someone to talk to. And it could be from your healthcare team um, it could be from someone who um, you, uh, someone actually who, who uh, joining uh, some uh, support effort that you could be connected to to another person who's going through the same experience you are. Um, so those are very very helpful to to get connected with others that could assist you, and that's really um, very important. Um, does anyone else want to add anything to that? Okay. Well, I think reaching out to cancer care is a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, another question, this would be for Dr. Um, O'Donnell. Um, could you address uh, possible clinical trials for multi-myeloma? Yeah, so, you know, that's a great question right now is, you know, what is the status um, of clinical trials. A lot of uh, non-mandatory clinical trials were suspended at the peak of COVID, at least in our institution. Um, and there are specific IMS uh, recommendations as well, which I'll review with you. So number one is follow the recommendations of the authorities in each country. Uh, you know, these a lot of these trials are national, but also international for our uh, listening population. Uh, the inclusion of new patients in clinical trials should be carefully evaluated to consider benefits and risks. And this comes back to if the clinical trial requires more visits uh, or a different therapy that may be more immunosuppressive, is that the right answer uh, in the current context? 
Patients who are already participating in a study should be continued. Uh, if there are options to reduce clinic visits through telemedicine, I know several pharmaceutical partners have tried to do so. Um, only, try to avoid visits only done for the purpose of correlative studies unless required for safety assessments. Uh, and when possible, ship oral investigational uh, drugs to the patient rather than having them come in. Uh, and then also consider alternative bridging therapies until the COVID-19 situation improves before inpatient, enrolling patients on clinical trials. So those are the IMS guidelines, and more generally speaking, uh, it really depends that, you know, also on where in your cancer therapy you are. Uh, if you don't have a lot of options beyond clinical trials, then they become a necessity, but if there are options um, for approved drugs, and particularly oral approved drugs, uh, those might be the better ones uh, in the current climate. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and um, uh, this question is, I'll, I'll, I'll address it initially, and then I'm going to ask Dr. Fleischman to add to it as well. But I do feel like I want to talk about some problems in a more anonymous way, since I don't want my husband or my, our families to feel any additional burden from my venting. What would you recommend? So I should, first of all, let you know that when you speak with um, a an oncology social worker, um, an oncology nurse, your physician, those are protected conversations in the sense that when you speak to them, they are confidential conversations. And so you can feel a sense that the when you speak to them and you can very much let them know that you're concerned about the confidentiality, so that they understand that you are that's a concern of yours. Um, and those, and your healthcare team also, and they will then try to help you to talk about your situation, your concerns in a way that makes you feel that you can vent a bit because we, people do need to vent. There's no question about that. It's like a pressure cooker. You know, you need to vent a little bit sometimes. You know, steam, you have to kind of really be able to let someone know how you are feeling. Um, and so um, that is a very excellent question. I think that it's an issue for um, probably everyone on the call who's struggling in today's era and with multiple myeloma or with any type of cancer. But Dr. Fleischman, do you want to add anything to that as well? Yes. Um, you know, we, we speak a lot about uh, online communication, and that is probably um, – in, in, if you ever sign on to an on, in, any um, website online – and you're worried about security, uh, make sure it says H-T-T, -T, I think P-S, ends in S, um, with a colon and two slashes, and that shows that it's a secure connection. Um, uh, before the current COVID crisis, uh, we were told that it is improper to communicate in anything but secure connections. That's been relaxed in the last few months uh, with the COVID crisis, but I would just be you know, pretty certain, I would think almost 100% certain that phone calls that you have to providers um, uh, or agencies such as cancer care are all confidential uh, and private, and it's important to keep in, that in mind. Um, I, I think it, it never hurts to to remind uh, whoever you're speaking to that these are sensitive issues and you'd like to keep them private and confidential, but that's the rule, not the exception these days and for many years. Excellent. Thank you. And does Ms. Kusak, do you want to add anything to that as well? 
No, I think I think it's a great response. And again, they are they are confidential calls. I think that cancer care is an excellent resource. I think that um, your healthcare provider team, um, you know, as your wife gets more into her treatments and that kind of stuff, you know, there are there are teams that specialize in um, support systems for the families and stuff. Your social workers at your facilities, if you're in a larger facility, different things like that, you can talk to them. Um, so there's a wide variety of resources that you know you can you can seek out to try to do that, and you know it's it's okay to do that. It's okay to have these conversations separate from you know from your wife and stuff because there's or your husband or whatever. Because I think there's a there are a lot of a lot of questions that people have, and you sometimes feel like you're it's a little more of a burden when you know you're talking. Um, to your family member, and it gives you just an outside person to uh, supply you with some, you know, just some objectivity sometimes also on, on some of these things. And, and that's an excellent point. It really does sometimes, it really helps tremendously to talk to someone who is a little distant from the situation so that then you can talk to your family members about other things. And um, uh, and it doesn't mean that you can't at some point talk to them but uh, about issues, but I think that sometimes many people find that it's, it's helpful to talk to someone who is um, not quite as connected to the family and friends um, uh, at the moment um, that you're really struggling. Um, now there is a question, and this is probably our last question for Dr. O'Donnell, about um, what happens when uh, the treatment, when one is doing better with multi-myeloma, when it's uh, in remission or it's not as active, and could you comment on that as well? Sure. So I guess you mean what happens in terms of your um, immunocompromised is that is that the question, Dr. Messner? Or well, the question really was just what happens when you when you're not requiring as much treatment when you're um, uh, when you're either between treatments or you're you seem to have achieved a, 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 good a level of a good response. Yeah. Well, so those are really good periods, um, you know, in in terms of the scheme of of multiple myeloma, as you know. Um, it's a relapsing and remitting disease and where there are periods where you have to come and use combination therapies, often those require multiple drugs um, to get you into this remission. When you're in this remission, this is usually a very good time. The burden of visits is lower. You should make the most of that time. Um, you know, again, it's a little bit harder with COVID, but really try to do the things you enjoy, um, and, you know, let your mind be free to the extent that it can um, of the myeloma. And, you know, in terms of just risk and your immune system uh, may be in a better place. It depends on what therapies you're on. Uh, you know, if you're on fewer therapies, as one typically is during maintenance, uh, you may feel better, have less fatigue, less side effects. So really try to enjoy it uh, and make, make the most of that time. Excellent. Thank you. And, and and in terms of lifestyle, do you want to comment on that as well? I know this is a great interest of yours. Sure. Yes, yeah, so this is a great interest. So, you know, the American Cancer Society uh, really recommends that patients try to exercise a half an hour of moderate intensity five days per week. We know there were revised guidelines last year saying that even three days a week uh, is beneficial. So, you know, use that time to try and find activities that you enjoy. Um, anything that's moderate intensity means that you are uh, pushing yourself, breathing a little less comfortably than you would if you could complete, you know, full sentences. 
Um, for myeloma, you have to be careful in terms of weight-bearing activities. If you have lytic lesions involving your spine or long bones, you should talk to your doctor first uh, about, you know, what your capacity is to lift any weights because strength is an important uh, part of any um, ideal fitness plan. I typically advise my patients not to lift more than 20 pounds. Uh, but find activities you enjoy uh, to try and exercise daily. <clears throat> Non-weight-bearing activities would include things like the elliptical trainer, a stationary bicycle, a regular bicycle. Uh, water aerobics is a great option. Dancing in your house. I, I mentioned that last week, but, you know, just putting music on and getting your body moving, getting your heart rate up, those are all really good things. But the goal, too, is just to, you know, you'll feel better. It's not just the physical gains. It's the emotional gains as well. Uh, Exercise is associated with decreased uh, depression, anxiety, improved sleep quality, uh, better toleration of therapy. So there are many things to be gained from trying to be physically active, uh, particularly when you're in the maintenance phase. Excellent. Thank you so much. I want to thank all of our speakers. I have to say this has been an exceptional call. Um, a lot of wonderful information um, has been discussed today for all of you, and um, you've also, um, all the caregivers, asked such great questions as well, and um, and we hope that this has been helpful to you. Now, I do want to say a few words. I know that there are many of you who still have questions in queue, and we could go on for a bit longer, but... Um, we had said this would be an hour program, and so that um, if you got to ask a question during the program or if you heard a question that made you think of a question or you still have a question, we, we do want you to take your, the information you've learned back to your treating healthcare team. They know you the best. Um, they certainly are familiar with you, and they can certainly help you um, with um, understand the question even further. However, we also do know that many of you do like to go to other places to get information. And so we've given you some suggestions of places you can go to to get information. However, um, and we do want you to go to credible resources to get that information. So um, we have mentioned other organizations that um, are quite credible um, for getting more medical information. The National Cancer Institute, of course, um, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, um, the um, Multi Myeloma Foundation, they have wonderful um, informational information on their sites, and they're a great resource for you to getting just credible information. And that's very important at this era right now to get very credible information. And for those of you who wish to pursue further services from cancer care, from our oncology social workers, whether it be practical or financial or um, or the support services that we offer, I would say to go ahead and call Cancer Care or go to our website, and we will do everything we can to help you. Our financial assistance is restricted to the United States, but if you have problems in other countries and are on the call, if you email us, our staff will, if you go to our website and, and post your question, our staff will work with you to try to help you find those resources where you are. And I assure you there are many, many resources throughout the country. And for many of us, we've spent our careers, that is what we're supposed to do, we have resources to get you to. So that's very important to take away from this call today. Um, and um, Intense Care also has its own publications, and we do have just a lot of information as well. And, of course, your healthcare team and your physician offices, they all, many of the centers today that we've talked all of our speakers, their centers have wonderful information that you can access from their websites as well. So 
most importantly, as we conclude the program today, I would not want any one of you to feel that you're alone in coping with multiple myeloma or any type of cancer. We do know now that with social distancing, people have a tendency to feel, of course, more alone in general. So that's normal to some extent. Um, but we do want you to know that there is a whole network of support out there for you and we want you to take advantage of it. It's very important um, that you do that. Um, and that you also, as I think was pointed out by Dr. Fleischman, that you actually check with your healthcare team as to when you can call them evenings and weekends if you have a question or concern. So with that being said, I want to thank you all for your participation today. I want to wish you all a very fine day and thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.